Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, something a little bit unusual today, but taking a little break from the book of 1 Samuel. We'll jump back in next week. But Proverbs 14, you're going to need to hold your place, Proverbs 14, 4. Uh, we'll look there, and then we're going to turn over to Colossians chapter 3 as we look at a, uh, a biblical virtue that I think is so critical if we're going to accomplish the mission that God has set before us in 2023. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, just put a marker at Proverbs 4, or 14, verse 4. Proverbs 14, verse 4, and then Colossians 3. As you're finding your place there, I want to welcome Glenn Luke up to the stage this morning. Glenn Luke is one of our missionary partners serving in Mexico. We commissioned him out a couple of years ago, prayed over him. We've supported him in many ways, and uh, through your generosity, been able to support him in some real important ways, some practical ways. We've sent mission teams. We've given you updates, but uh, over the course of these two years, it's been unusual for us to have him actually here in person, and so I wanted you to hear from him, see him, so as you pray, you'd, you'd be able to put a kind of a face with a name. Uh, many of you have been praying for Glenn and the work that he's doing there, but I also wanted him to come and in person kind of share with you what God's doing. He's going to have a greater opportunity to do that this week, but I wanted him to lead us in prayer, so so, uh, Glenn, grateful you're here this morning. Hey, thank you. Buenos dias. Feliz Año Nuevo. Happy New Year. I hope you guys are having a great year. And, uh, yeah, my name is Glenn Luke. I work with a missions agency called World Venture. And the heart of World Venture is that there's three billion people who don't know who Christ is, and we are not okay with that. And so we desire to send out, to mobilize people, to share the good news of Christ Jesus where it's not. And so I am in Ensenada, Mexico. I am working with the Latin Church, one of the fastest growing churches in the entire world. Actually, it's estimated by the year 2050, the majority of Christians will be south of the equator. 80% of Christians will be south of the equator <laughs> in places like Latin America, Asia, Africa. And so there exists this huge opportunity to mobilize the Latin church to places where the gospel is not. So thank you, LBC. It was about two years ago I was here on this stage and Pastor Chad commissioned me. He sent me out he prayed for me. You guys prayed for me. And ever since then, uh, I have received nothing but love and support from LBC. I've received care packages. I've received teams of people coming down to bless the work that we're doing. I've received prayers, encouragement. And so this is my sending church. This is my sending church. Um, but not only that, it's my home church as well. I consider it home, and I love getting to come back and to update you guys with what God is doing in Mexico. And so I have too many stories to share in this time here, but uh, next Tuesday, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday, January 10th at 6.30 p.m. here at Lenexa Baptist, um, I will be giving an update on things that happened this past year with ministry and the vision for the future. And so I would love, even if I haven't met you, I would love for you to be there. And I would love to connect. I would love to share more. So thank you so much, LBC, for everything that you do. Thank you for your generosity. Um, because you guys are generous, LBC is able to be generous with the funds that they give to missionaries all over the world, not just me. So thank you, LBC. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you 
deserve to be glorified among all peoples, all nations. I thank you for the part that LBC is playing in this grand commission that you have given us. And so, Lord, I just, I praise you for, for who you are. I praise you for the body of believers here that people have different giftings and talents and that, God, you desire to use them. And Father, I just pray that we would be not just hearers of the word, but doers. Father, I pray that you would speak through Pastor Chad as he gives this message. Bless him, but also allow us to have open hearts to receive it. Father, help us to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Thank Glenn for being here this morning. It's always so special to see Glenn. Uh, amazing story. He came to faith in Christ in college. Got an amazing work in his life. Uh, just began to serve the Lord. Glenn could do a lot of things. Um, he could have gone in a lot of different directions vocationally and, and could have done a lot of things. But God called him to go. Uh, to an e Not necessarily an easy place to go, but to be a light for Christ. And he was willing to say, here I'm, I send me. And and uh, I'm grateful for our partnership with Glenn. And, and uh, if you need to go to the meeting, uh, and, and I would encourage you, even this next year, uh, one of the things that you may pray about is participating in a mission trip. And we'll be leading trips to Mexico. And we got mission trips to all over the world. You want to grow a heart for missions, go on a mission trip. You'll never really get a heart for missions until you step foot in a foreign place that's different culturally and you see God move. And uh, one of the most powerful parts of going on any mission trip is getting to worship with brothers and sisters in Christ. You begin to realize the church is a whole lot bigger than just this little room. Um, and you get to meet brothers and sisters that they may sing in a different language. Our heart is in the same place. We love Christ. And so you, you pray about that and, and encourage Glenn and pray for him. Well, this morning, something a little different. We're, we're gonna jump right back in to 1 Samuel next week, chapter 12. But I thought on this New Year's Day, just how could I challenge the church? In what ways could I encourage you? And, and I, I wanna just say before we begin that, that a lot of this, God has been working on me. And so I realize this every day in my own life um, that, that God is working on me in this area. So I don't want you to think that I'm preaching to anybody other than this is what the Lord has placed on my heart. Uh, I, I realized that this week. Every time I preach, God makes me live it before I preach it. It, it never fails. Whatever's going on, I'm going to end up, God's going to put me in a position. And, and when you hear this topic, I was put in a lot of positions this week where I began to get a little irritated and God worked in my heart. One of these days, I told the early service, I'm going to preach on how to deal with unexpected wealth and see if I'll have to live that one out and try to get through that one. But... Uh, I'm just kidding. But th this is an important topic I just want to share with you, and it relates to our mission as a church. One, one of the things that we see in Scripture is that God's message, when God declares his message, his message is often accompanied by miracles to demonstrate that the message is of divine origin. With the giving of the law, there was miracles that accompanied the giving of that law. With the message of the prophets, oftentimes the prophetic message would be uh, confirmed and affirmed through, uh, through miracles in the coming of Christ. Nobody, this is God incarnate as we just celebrated in, at Christmas. But uh, uh, Christ performed miracles like no one else to confirm that he's of divine origin and his message is of divine origin. The word of God itself, the, the word of God that we have, that we hold and we read, 
uh, it, there's miracles that accompany it. It's, one of the miracles is the, that there's unity in the midst of diversity. You've got over 1,500 years of, of, of history contained in one book, and you've got over 40 human authors, and yet the message from the beginning to the end is the same. It's about God's love for a broken, sinful world and his accomplishment of that salvation through one person, Jesus Christ. That's one of the miracles. There's other miracles that the Word of God demonstrates that helps us to understand it's of divine nature. But we as the church... We have a mission, we have a message, it's the gospel message. We proclaim Christ and, and, and reconciliation with God through faith in Christ. And, and we as a church have an accompanying miracle that demonstrate that the, that the message we proclaim is of divine origin. And that miracle, the miracle that we demonstrate is that we love one another. We love one another, hypothetically to a degree, somewhat, maybe, sometimes. We love each other, amen? We love each other. We care about one another. But I don't know about you, but what we find oftentimes is even though we've come to faith in Christ, we've got a new identity in Christ, we've been forgiven in Christ, it's not always easy to love these other sinners, is it? And we bump into each other in the church and we hurt each other and it gets hard because just because we've come to faith in Christ doesn't mean we don't have conflict. It doesn't mean that we don't have a difficulty. And we have to love each other. I, every time I, I talk about these things, uh, I think of years ago, I, I saw a documentary or one of those National Geographic on porcupines. It, and, and they had something called the Dance of the Porcupines. And porcupines oftentimes are in cold weather environments, and yet they want the warmth of other porcupines. And they kind of start shaking and they, they get together. But what happens when they get together? They're, one of their quills gets together when they bounce apart. They get mad and they go... <laughs> but they still want community. And so they just start, you know, and boom, and then they go apart. I thought, man, that's the church. <laughs> we desire love and community and warmth in the body of Christ, but the closer we get with sinful brothers and sisters in Christ, oftentimes we can hurt each other and we poke each other. And, uh, but we're called to love each other. What does that look like? What does that entail? What does that involve? Well, I'm gonna tell you what. One of the things I've learned, I've been entering 18 years of vocational ministry, not really that long, comparatively speaking, to some of the other pastors here, but, but one of the things, I'm telling you, 18 years of ministry, I've learned one thing, that if we're gonna demonstrate the love of Christ in our church and in our community of faith right here at Lenexa Baptist, we're gonna have to grow in the biblical virtue of forbearance. Forbearance, and it's not a word we use very often. Uh, in fact, I don't find it, uh, but a couple of times in my New American Standard translation, uh, the New King James, King James Version may mention it more often. There's a couple of Greek words that are sometimes uh, translated forbearance or bearing with one another, but every time we see the church mentioned, whenever we see God describing what ought to really characterize the body of Christ, we see something of the nature of bearing with one another, having patience, long-suffering, being forgiving. All of those are different ways of describing this biblical virtue of forbearance. What's interesting about this virtue is oftentimes it's not viewed as a virtue. Sometimes being forbearing can be viewed as a weakness. Uh, we tend to sometimes like those people that are rigid and hard and I'm gonna, I'm, we're gonna do it right and we're gonna do it this way and we lift that up and we don't always lift up the issue of forbearance. But I'm gonna tell you what, in the body of Christ, we're gonna be the church that God has called us to be and we're gonna demonstrate love and unity. We better grow in the area of forbearance. You want a very, you want a very simple definition of forbearance? It's the ability to put up with one another. The ability to put up with another. We put up with other, other people, why? Because we know what? They have to put up with us. It's the ability to overlook a fault. Uh, you know, the Proverbs 19.11 says, uh, I think says, good sense 
is slow to anger. Uh, And then it says it's to his glory to overlook a fault. It's to your glory to sometimes overlook a fault. It's, it's the ability to not turn everything into a blow-up. The ability to not let everything, all the little things in life, the way that people nudge us and poke us, not allow those things to become bigger than what they actually are. To give a little, to go with the flow with other sinful beings because they got to give a little with us. And then we ask ourselves, what does this look like? That's what I love about the word of God. It illustrates these virtues and it illustrates these principles oftentimes in word pictures. The word of God will give us these little uh, illustrations that from ordinary life or certainly the life of those who wrote scripture that help us better understand what this looks like. And I think if you wanna see a, a definition of forbearance or maybe the lack of forbearance and the repercussions, Solomon does a great job in Proverbs 14, 4. Proverbs 14, 4, it's a verse that during the course of the year, uh, there's probably no verse that I'll quote, quote more often. Ask Pastor Jim. I quote this verse a lot. And more often than not, I'm quoting it to myself because it's a quality I know I need to have. But you need to, you need to know what this verse means and you need to be able to recite it often. It's gonna be critical to your success in any relationship you You grow in this area, I promise, you'll grow in lasting, loving, healthy relationships. If you don't grow in this area, your life will be marked by pain, disappointment, discouragement, frustration, and you will often leave a trail of broken relationships behind you. You've got to know forbearance. So what is it? Look at Proverbs 14.4. New American Standard Translation says, where no oxen are, where no oxen are, the manger's clean. But much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. Where no oxen are, the manger's clean. But much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. You say, what in the world is that? It sounds like a Chinese proverb, doesn't it? (laughs) What does this mean? Well, just picture it this way. Imagine a person, they're, they're, they're very much a type A personality, they're kind of control, they're a perfectionist personality, somebody, I mean, it's gotta go my way and things gotta happen the way I want them to go or I get frustrated, don't mess up my plans, it's gotta, everything's gotta be neat and organized, they're hygienic, everything's gotta have its place and just imagine a person like that and, and, and they've got some oxen. And uh, they got these oxen and they sit them in this stall and, and they keep getting frustrated because those oxen, keep messing up the stall. They kept messing up the barn. Uh, the oxen, they slobber all over the place. They, they mess up the straw. Uh, they knock over their food. They kick up dust everywhere. And they stink. My goodness, the smell, they stink. And they're just constantly in the manure. The manure is just disgusting. And this guy, he just keeps getting frustrated because these oxen won't do what they're supposed to do and they won't keep the stall clean and he can't keep it clean. And finally, he gets to a place where he says, I've just had it. I'm tired of these stinky, nasty, dirty oxen that don't do what they're told. I'm just gonna get rid of them. And he sells off his oxen. He gets rid of them. He says, I'm just gonna get rid of them. He sells them off. And then he looks at that stall and he goes to town on it, man. He cleans it, gets the straw all nice and removes all the manure, dusts all the rafters, gets everything right, all the things organized right where they need to be. And he steps back and he looks at that stall and he goes, that there's a stall. That's a good looking stall. I'm telling you, that's the way things ought to be run. I finally got it like I like it. And everything's fine. 
Everything's great. He just eliminated a whole lot of problems in his life. Everything's fine until what? Until he needs to take the cart to town. Ain't got no oxen. Until it comes time to do the wheat threshing and, boy, that oxen came in handy. Until he's got to plow a field and he's not very good at pulling that plow himself and he can't guide it. Or until he's got to remove a stump and he can't remove it on his own and boy, all of a sudden he realizes, what, I just cut off my nose to spite my face. That I can have a clean stall, but I'm gonna miss out on the blessing and the increase that those oxen bring. Now, do you begin to see the application in our own personal lives? Listen, the picture here is, you wanna put this in very layman's term, if you wanna enjoy the blessing of milk, you gotta put up with some manure. It's true. You could just play this out in the average ordinary relationships of our life. Let's just start with one of the most basic, marriage. <laughs> Here we go. It's getting real this morning, Pastor Bill. We're just getting real, man. We're going right at it. Here we go. Marriage. That, that person that you're married to, that individual that you're going to marry, that you love, and they're so sweet and kind, listen to me, they're knocks. They're an ox. Now, wives, you know it to be true. In your heart, you're sensing it right now. Yes, I married an ox. And listen, that ox, he can stink. Amen, wives? Boy, they can stink. And they create messes. And they, man, they can say hurtful things. And they won't always do what they're supposed to do. And sometimes they'll forget to put the toilet seat down. Sometimes they'll leave dirty laundry laying around. And I'm just spitballing here, but they may even forget to certain dates or something. They may. I don't know. Sometimes it happens. But listen, they will hurt you. And they will make you cry. And they'll make you mad. And you know what you can do? You can say, well, I'll just find me another spouse. Guess what you're going to find? Another ox. <laughs> and they may stink in a different way, but they're going to stink too. Because we're all ox. Some people say, well, but, but, but I'm just not going to get married. That's fine. You'll have a clean stall. But you'll have an empty bed. And you won't know the joy of living life in a grand adventure with somebody who's able to pick you up on the difficult days and encourage you and challenge you in your walk with Christ. We can play it out even further. What, what, what about a job? You go to work at a place, what are you gonna find? Bunch of oxen. That boss you work for, he's an ox, she's an ox. Whoever it might be, those co-workers are around you, they'll say mean things. That, that boss, he won't always value you like you think you should be valued. He won't always acknowledge you in the way that you, you think you should be acknowledged. And they will hurt you and they will make you mad and they will frustrate you. And you can say, well, I'll just find me another job. And guess what? You're going to find a bunch more oxen. And the real thing is you take the problem with you. Because who's the problem? You. 
But what do we see? People who can't hold a job down. They'll just jump from job to job to job and hurt relationship and broken relationship after broken relationship because they never earn, learned the art of forbearance. Um, <laughs> what about children? <laughs> Kids. Boy, they, they're nothing like a child to ruin an orderly household. You ever see a couple and you just see a man, they're nice and nice and organized, everything's got its place, and you say, boy, I can't wait to see what happens when they have a kid, you know? It's going to get messy in there. Nothing like a slobbering toddler to just disorganize everything. They'll slobber, they'll cry, they'll scream, they'll kick you. Man, they'll make you mad, they'll frustrate you, they'll disappoint you. They won't do what they're told half the time. And then about 13, they turn into a gremlin. <laughs> and, and, and then they make you mad in other ways. And they frustrate you in different ways. And they disappoint you and they make you mad. And you can say, well, I, I, I just ain't going to have kids. That's fine. You can do that. I'm going to tell you what, you're going to miss out on a blessing. Those slobbering toddlers can be a blessing. Amen. Ah, oh, this, this week could go on and on. In the church, you want to find a church? You need a church. We all need Christ. We not all need God, God and each other. You going to find a perfect church? No. There are going to be oxen there too. You want a perfect pastor? I'm going to let you in on something. You got an ox for a pastor. I want a perfect congregation. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all won't do what you're told, you know? That's the problem. <laughs> Listen, we all want these perfect relationships where everybody does what we want them to do when we want them to do it in the way that we think it should be done. But listen to me, you're not gonna find that on this side of heaven. When we get to glory one day, <laughs> nobody will ever let us down again. Amen? What a day that will be. No more sin, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. But right now in Lenexa, Kansas, we better learn the art of forbearance. We better learn to give and move with other people who are sinners and sometimes hurt us. Now, I want to be careful before we get into Colossians 3. This does not mean that we don't have standards. It doesn't mean that we don't have standards. God called us to be servants, not doormats. It doesn't mean that we just get run over all the time. Some of you think, well, that's what it means. That's not what I'm saying. We, listen, there are lines in the sands where we don't move. In the areas of truth and morality, we don't move. In the inerrancy of God's word, we don't move. You've heard me say this. Listen, forbearance doesn't mean that there aren't some times where we have to go separate ways. And you've heard me say this. Anytime we, if this church ever gets away from the truth of God's word, the inerrancy of scripture, you find yourself in another church. There's areas where we draw, even in relationships, there's sometimes we gotta go separate ways. So forbearance doesn't mean that we don't confront somebody, but there's a right way to do it, amen? There's a right way to confront somebody and talk to them, and we learn, and we grow, and we give, and we demonstrate the glory of Christ. Boy, we, we gotta learn this, this critical virtue of forbearance if we're gonna be the church that God called us to be. So here's the question, how do we produce it? 
Because I don't know about you, but I struggle. Man, I, 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 isn't it interesting? We're so good at seeing the faults in everybody else. Isn't it just kind of the natural inclination? We just think, boy, if everybody was like us, and the rest of the world says, if we had two more of those guys, we'd be in big trouble. And God calls us to a different standard. Calls us to produce love and forbearance and relationship to one another because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that enables us to not make everything about us and to look out for the interests of others. But how do we cultivate that? I think Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17, we're gonna look at them very briefly this morning, just some very practical hints if we're gonna grow in the area of forbearance towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm speaking primarily about the church, but I think it also plays itself out in the world. We want to tend towards forbearance. We want to tend towards forgiveness, and we'll see why in this passage. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul is talking to the Colossians a lot about their new identity in Christ, that through your new identity in Christ, we have a, a dress code change. We put on new character qualities in Christ Jesus that weren't available to us apart from Christ, that the, now through the power of Christ and the work of God in our hearts and the forgiveness we've received, we now have the ability to demonstrate new character qualities that in the past did not come naturally to us. We're freed from the bondage of sin, Satan, and death, so we get a new dress code, and so we see a lot in this book about putting off certain things and putting on certain things. And that's what he does in verses 12 through 17. Look with me, just some, some critical things this morning that we need to, to think about. In Colossians chapter three, verse 12, it says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The first thing you see at the very beginning of chapter or verse 12, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Listen, you'll never really develop in the area of forbearance until you begin to see people as God sees them. Until you begin to see that person, especially in the body of Christ, that that is another brother and sister in Christ, that's a child of God, that's an individual that is holy and beloved to God with all their awkwardness, with all their quirks, with all the things that they do that frustrate me and can, can make me mad. All of those character qualities are contained within a person that God loves and I'm called to love them too. And so we've got to change the way we view each other in the body of Christ. We view each other as valuable because we're all valuable to the heart of God. This will never, will never develop in this area until we begin to see people through the eyes of God. It's not easy. But to view every individual with all the mistakes and the funny quirkiness and the things that drive us crazy are all contained within this individual that God loves and we're called to love them too. And then he tells us about these qualities. But you see in verse 13, he says, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So the first thing, we gotta view other people as valuable and we gotta view ourselves with humility. At the, when, whenever there's a lack of forbearance, it demonstrates pride. It, it demonstrates that it's all about us. And one of the beauties of following Christ is learning that the glory of God and his reputation is more important than my reputation and my own convenience. And I learned that, that, that God has forgiven me much. God has eternally forgiven me of my sins. 
He has been so gracious towards me. And the more I learn of the grace of God in my life demonstrated towards me, the more I'm compelled to demonstrate grace to other people who are sinners. You know, one of the things that I've learned as I, I grow in my walk with Christ, there was always this hope, you know, you grow and you learn more scripture and you get to a place where you just kind of, man, you feel like you're good. You kind of, you know, here's what I've learned. The longer I work, walk with Christ, the more sinful I feel. The more I get closer to Jesus, the more his light shines in my heart and just shows me how depraved I really am. I don't know about you, but I, I look and even as we end a year and we begin a new year, I look back on all the mistakes I've made. And I look back with regret in my heart for those times when I lashed out in anger or said things I shouldn't have or done things I shouldn't have done. And it pains my heart and I pray that as we grow in Christ, we become more sensitive to our own sin. Growth in Christ never leads to pride. It always grows you in humility in regard to your own self and your own sinfulness. And the more, so, so on one hand, the more I grow in Christ, the more I become sensitive to my own sin and my own depravity. But the more I grow more tough-skinned in the hurts and the harms that other people do to me. So we grow more sensitive to our own sin, and yet we're, we're, we're less prone to grow uh, grumpy or mad when somebody hurts or wrongs us. It's the example of Christ who, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. Remember, this is a guy who was innocent. We're, we're, we're already beginning to think towards Easter, and we think of Christ and him being publicly humiliated as a criminal. Can you imagine how badly if you were Christ, you would want to say, you guys got it all wrong. I'm the only perfect one here. Accused as the worst of all criminals. And yet in every way, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats. In fact, his wor first words from the cross were what? Father, forgive him. Listen, for those of us that have been forgiven in Christ Jesus, the only person who can demand that everybody change and conform to his image is Jesus. And you know what's interesting about Jesus? The only person who had the right to say, you either conform to me or die, is the person who was the most forbearing and forgiving person who ever walked the face of the earth. And boy, I don't know about you, but that brings a conviction in my heart to realize who I am and that the Lord has been that gracious and forgiving towards me. God, help me to be more gracious and forgiving towards those who hurt me. So we have to have a right view uh, of others and a, and a right view of ourselves. But look on. It says in verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Beyond all these things, put on love. Meaning, yes, we, have, we don't move in the areas of truth. We don't move in the areas of doctrine. So we hold fast. We hold our ground. But we do so with an attitude, an atmosphere of love. Listen, if, if, you, can't, you, you, if you can't hold truth and doctrine, and you've seen these people, we've all seen them, they hold fast and we agree with them in a lot of areas of truth and doctrine. But they're so doggone mean, nobody wants to listen to them. And what I like to say is we got to be as firm as steel when it comes to the truth of God's word and the exclusivity of Christ and the gospel message. But at the same time, we better have some rabbit fur on us or the world will never want to listen to what we have to say. 
Uh, I, I used to say before I grew in forbearance that if you, if you hold right doctrine but you can't be loving, you just be a seminary professor. That's what you do. You don't have to actually live it out. But I'm just kidding. We got great seminary professors. I'm just kidding. But I will tell you in all honesty, I had a professor one time, phenomenal expositor of God's word. And he was asked, why aren't you a pastor? And he said, because I don't love people that much. And listen to me, it's the, the, we're called to love one another. We can't just hold right truth and doctrine. Yes, that is important. But we also got to demonstrate love and grace or nobody will ever want to listen to what we got to say. I mean, Glenn Luke could go into Mexico and he could tell all those people how they're wrong and, and they are. And he could just bash them with their sinfulness. But then he would lose the credibility to be heard in the gospel message he proclaims. And so he loves those people. We come alongside them. We put our arm around them. And then we point them to the truth. The gospel message, we don't bend. And love covering all that. Love. It's the perfect bond of unity. It's what unites all of us. This is the one unexplainable. It, it ought to be. Again, this is the miracle. Uh, out there in the world, it's KUK state. Out there in the world is KUMU. Out there in the world, it's Republican and Democrat, isn't it? Out there in the world, it's black and white. But in here, the one thing the world can't get, the one thing they can't re uh, replicate, the, the one thing that causes them to scratch their head is there's a group of people out there that come from different backgrounds, different places, they look different, but they're one in Christ Jesus. And they love each other. Listen, if we can't learn to be forbearing and love one another, we'll lose the credibility of our gospel witness to the community that surrounds us. The gospel rep reputation is at stake. In fact, if you'll look on in verse 16 or 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called into one body and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule. It's rule like an umpire. Umpires, uh, in, referees in games. That's what the, the peace of Christ is intended to be um, in, in a football game. We've been watching some football. The referees are supposed to be totally objective. They're supposed to be unbiased. They're not. Yesterday I was very mad at some refs. They're not. They're, they're biased, I promise you. But but they're not supposed to be. They're, they're, what is supposed to happen in a game, referee, umpire, if there's two, a foul's been committed, a penalty's been uh, occurred, the, the referee, the umpire, steps in the gap and he says, that's right, that's wrong, and both teams abide by it and they move forward and the game progresses. And what Paul is saying here is when we hit each other and we have conflict, we're to go and let the peace of Christ rule in our heart. We're not to let our flesh rule. We let the peace of Christ rule. How many of you in situations, you look back over your life and say some of my greatest regrets are when I spoke words or performed actions in anger? And in those moments, somebody hurt us, somebody wronged us, and we acted in anger out of our flesh, and it caused us to do something that we deeply regret. And how many times do we wish in those moments, and I'm gonna guarantee you, listen, if you wanna do a good, just practical thing in 2023, when you have those moments when anger begins to well in your heart, you're being irritated, you're getting mad, step away from that moment and get alone with the Lord and let the peace of Christ rule. Let Christ remind you of your faults. And it doesn't mean that you still don't need to go address the issue. It doesn't mean that you still don't go and say, we need to sit down and we need to talk because this hurt. You need to do that. 
But I guarantee you, if you step away and let the peace of Christ rule, you'll come to the discussion with a much better attitude. And I promise you, you'll probably end in a better place than you would have if you lashed out in anger. Let the peace of Christ rule. What does it also say? It says, let the the word of, of Christ in verse 16 richly dwell within you. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I can't explain this. I, 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 I don't have a full explanation about this, but I know this to be true in my life. The more I dwell in the word of God, and I say this often, early first or nothing, you need to get in the word of God the first part of your day. Because more often than not, if you don't give God the first, you'll say, well, I'll give him my lunch or I'll give him the end of the day. What happens is you'll get busy and you'll push him out. And I think give him the first and get in the word of God, and here is often, uh, often my prayer is, God, I don't know what I'm gonna encounter today, but apart from your word and your spirit, I won't react to it in a way that honors you. I need you to fill me full of your spirit and your word. The more I abide in God's word, and the more I make it the first part of my day, the better I respond to the just accidents of life that occur Abide in God's word this year. If you don't have a daily Bible reading plan, we, have, we just have a few left. We'll tell you where to get them. We, a bunch of people bought them after the first service, but um, daily walk Bible. Um, if you already have a Bible reading plan, I don't like to convert people over to a new Bible reading plan. There's several that I've used, and I love the daily walk uh, Bible reading plan, but if you don't have a plan for reading God's word every day, you'll never be successful as a Christian, and you'll never produce forbearance if you're not abiding in the word of God. Get a plan for reading the word of God this next year. Let the word of Christ richly dwell. And then you'll say, you see here, he talks about in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to the God the Father. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what you need to be asking yourself in how you respond to a person who hurts you or irritates you. Are you making the way of Christ more appealing in your response? Would people see your response and say, boy, that makes me want to hear more about the gospel message that they proclaim? Or would they see your response and say, I don't know what I want, why I would want what they got because that's how I respond. We, we, we have to make sure, and this is everyday ordinary activities of our life, are we accentuating the gospel message at the checkout line at the grocery store, wherever you might be, on a flight, on an airplane, at school, when somebody wrongs you, when somebody pokes you, how we respond, we are representing Christ. We bear his mark on our lives. You know, we used to, <laughs> we, we'd hand out those stickers that, that have LBC that you put on your car, and then we saw some of y'all drive, and we said, no, don't give those things out, man. We didn't, we, I'm just kidding, all right? I'm just, some of you, I'm kidding. But <laughs> You bear the mark of Christ. How you respond affects the reputation of Christ in this world. We need to be forbearing because God's been forbearing towards us. And then we see twice in verse 15, verse 17, giving thanks. Giving thanks for what? Giving thanks for those people. You want to learn a surefire way to change your attitude towards somebody who irritates you. Start praying, not just praying for that person, but thanking God for that person. And thanking God for what they bring to the table. Because every one of us, we're sinners. We all have our quirks. We all have our awkwardness. But listen, all of us bring something different to the table that helps create the body of Christ here that demonstrates the manifold grace of God. And sometimes what what irritates me about another individual 
is something by which God is using to change and mold me into Christ. Uh, one of my good friends, Michael, he said that God would, he never knew the full blessing of his marriage until God fixed Michael first. Isn't that the case? Some, uh, more often than not in our lives, we think if that person would just change, then we'd get along and we'd be fine. Maybe the person that God wants to change is you. And maybe the means by which God wants to change you, maybe the spiritual sandpaper of your life that's gonna mold you and shape you in the form of Christ is somebody who actually irritates you. And over a course of time, as you pray for them, you're able to praise God. Thank you for that individual who's helped me grow in an area in my life in which I needed to grow. We give thanks for the body of Christ and people who, who bless us. See, here, here, here's the bottom line. God has been extraordinarily gracious to us, Amen. I thought of it this way this week. How would you like to be the Holy Spirit of God in your heart? Do you not think that we can frustrate the Holy Spirit of God in our lives? I, I, I thought of it this way this week. If I was the Holy Spirit of God in my heart, I would have fired me a long time ago. Because I don't always move in response to the Spirit's urging in my life. And almost every day in my prayer life, in my prayer journal, almost every day, one of the things I pray and praise God for is the fact that he's never given up on me. God has been so long-suffering with me. God has been so patient with me. Listen, when we are reminded of God's patience and forbearance with us, God help us to be patient and forbearing with those in our lives that God has placed. I, I, I pray that we as a church body would grow in this area of forbearance to accentuate the gospel message that we proclaim. And if you're here this morning, know this. God loves you. All your quirks, all your mistakes, all your failures, God loves you. He's been forbearing, long-suffering. God is patient, desiring that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance and faith in Christ. God loves you. Those of us that have received his grace, Let's demonstrate it towards others. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning in your word that instructs us so practical in a very important area of our life. God, I pray. I pray for the individual that might be here this morning or watching online that's never trusted in you. I pray that the one, one thing that they would understand this morning, that all of us that know you do, we're all sinners. We're all oxen. Man, we, we make messes. We're sinners. We have a sinful flesh that we're born with, a sin nature. That the things of God are not, we're not naturally inclined towards those things. We're, we're naturally inclined to the sinfulness of our flesh towards sin. But God, we're so grateful that you love us. You could have thrown us out. You could have said they're broken and thrown us away. But even in our brokenness, you loved us. You desired a relationship with us so much that you were forbearing. In fact, Christ bore all of our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. God, I pray that they would know this morning how much you love them. And your love, your kindness would lead them to repentance. They'd be so overwhelmed by your love that they would run from their sin and they would run to Christ this morning. They would know his salvation. God, for those of us that do know you, God, help us to never forget where we came from. 
what you've brought us through, what you are bringing us through, all the grace and patience with us you have every day. And, and as we're reminded of your grace towards us, God, I pray that we would incline our hearts to be gracious towards those in our life. Help us to be unified as a body as we move into 2023. Help us to move forward in grace and forbearance for the glory of Christ. And we pray it in his name.